Well, I am uh, thankful to God for work that He has been doing all around us. We get to see just a fraction of it. I'm grateful for students who came back after a good week of camp for many, a uh, number more that are heading out now this week. Thankful that God has called, like, if you've worked with students in like a ministry in the church, hour and a half or something like that, you're exhausted. Imagine camp staff, uh, six days a week, 18 hours a day, sleeping in the hot. So be in prayer for those working at Hidden Acres. They do a great job of recruiting um, some really solid staff people, uh, but it's an exhausting number of weeks. And so uh, be praying for them. One of our own church members, Amanda Fjeld, teaches at the school here, and she's spending the summer at Hidden Acres uh, serving there as well, so pray for her. Um, but just uh, grateful uh, for a number of people who are serving in a number of different ways. Grateful that Pastor Nick was able to uh, preach the Word. I got a break from preaching last week, and just thankful for this brother's faithfulness uh, to preach the Word of God, for his love for Jesus, for his humble heart, and so uh, good to work alongside um, faithful pastors and elders and deacons and deaconesses in the church and all of you. So uh, thankful uh, to be here today. We're, we're walking through, instead of walking through a book like we've been doing, we're taking a break in the month of June, not walking through Luke verse by verse, but instead different passage of Scripture that we're walking through each week that really highlights and lays the foundation for our vision and mission. What are we doing here is the question we're asking. What are we doing here anyway? Uh, Three weeks talking about our vision, one week talking about our mission. This is week three of three talking about our vision. Week one, we talked about becoming molded by God's Word. We were looking at Colossians 3.16. Last week, talking about being motivated by God's glory. And Pastor Nick walked us through 2 Corinthians 4.1-6. Now today, we're going to look at a passage that's pretty familiar to those of you who have been in the church for a time, but I've actually never preached on it before. It's the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 18. It's the last Sorry, Matthew chapter 28. It's the last three verses of the gospel according to Matthew. And uh, there is much in there that is just vital for us to do and much in there that's vital for us to know. And so we're going to look at those two things today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you're able to, would you stand? We'll read the Word of God and then uh, spend some time digging deeper. Let's pray first. Father, uh, <laughs> humbled again uh, to hold on to uh, your word, to be able to have confidence that in this you're not just giving us little, little nuggets that make us feel better for a moment, but you are revealing yourself and your will. Thank you particularly for the way that in this passage you, you remind us of some things that we need to hold on to and to know and to believe and I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to know these things, to hold on to them, to believe these things. And that you also give us in this passage some commands, some very clear things that we are to do. And I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would empower and equip us to do the things that you call us to do. Give our minds attention and our hearts affection to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 28 Verses 18 to 20, God's Word says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so just quick context. We are in the book of Matthew. This is the first of the four Gospels, the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, and the aim of his book particularly is this, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He is the King. And it all culminates at the end of the book, We've got kind of Jesus' life at the beginning of the book, a genealogy to start it, then Jesus' life. It culminates in the suffering and death of Jesus in chapters 26 and 27, and then in the resurrection of Jesus in chapter 28. So if you want to know kind of like where in the book we are, or where in in just kind of like the, the life of Jesus we're at, here we're going to get this great commission, and it's in between His resurrection... And there was, after Jesus was raised from the dead, there's 40 days before he ascends into heaven. And we're sometime in those 40 days right now. So Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He's been raised from the dead. He's not yet ascended into heaven. And so we're right there in the middle. Jesus is giving a commission to his disciples. He meets with them on a mountain. There's 11 now of the 12 that remain. And to these 11, at this point, some of them worshiping him, some of them doubting, right? And and he's going to give them some instruction, an assignment, a directive, a mission. Here is what you are to do. We often refer to it as the Great Commission. What are they to do? Here's what it is, very simply. They are to make disciples. You're going to get some grammar lessons whether you like it or not today because grammar is really important in this passage. I saw like two people smile when I said you're getting a grammar lesson. Good for you, I'm with you, right? Uh, so, a grammar lesson here as we look at what is the, the, there's four verbs here, but there's one main verb. The main verb is this, make disciples. The, the directive, the assignment, the mission, what, it, what are the disciples to do? They are to make disciples. And, and a disciple is simply to make a disciple is to help someone adhere to or follow a teacher. If you're making a disciple, you're helping someone to become a disciple or to be someone who adheres to, connects themselves to, or follows a teacher. This is really what Jesus has been doing. We even call these people disciples. Well, like 11 left. 11 disciples, they have been following Jesus quite literally, watching how he reacts to things. Watching what he says, watching who he talks to, watching his compassionate heart in action, watching what he does. They've watched all of this, they've followed Jesus, and they have become disciples of Jesus. It says at the beginning, when Jesus called them, they left everything to follow him, right? So these are men who have attached themselves, adhered themselves to Jesus, and are following him, and what Jesus is now commanding them to do is to do the same thing with other people. Make disciples. Not, not make disciples of themselves, but make disciples of Jesus. So help other people to adhere to and follow Jesus. That's what he has called them to do. Okay, So that's the main verb. But then there's three other verbs in there that are participles. Now the first one is the one go. Did you notice that word there? 
go. That, that's also a verb, right? That's a command to do something. They are to make disciples. That's the main thing. But then you might say, well, how are they to do it? Now, this one, this one I dug for an hour this week, and it's going to get one paragraph in my sermon. I dug for an hour because I used to be better at Greek than I am now. So I'll, this is the first time in, like, years that I've opened up my Greek grammar textbook, okay? Totally nerding out on the grammar because I, I, here's what I've heard. I've heard pastors and other people say, here where it says, go and make disciples, it would be better translated, as you are going, make disciples. Which is a really cool sermon point, right? To say, it's not saying everybody's got to go. It's saying, as you are going, as you're doing your normal life, make disciples. That makes sense. But I wondered, is that what Jesus actually said? And in order to figure that out, I had to dig into some grammar. Is this, should it be translated, as you are going, make disciples? Without getting into all the details of what I spent an hour trying to figure out, my conclusion was this. The people that want to make a point and say, actually it should say, as you are going, are wrong. And the multiple experts of Greek language who are on all the translation committees of all major English translations who translate it, go, are right, okay? So, so all that, like an hour to say, no, it doesn't say as you are going, it says go, okay? The reason that part of making disciples is going to require these disciples to go is because they're all in Galilee right now. And if they are to go and make disciples of all nations, they don't get to just hang out there. They're going to have to go outside of Galilee. They're going to have to leave what is normal and comfortable. They've already gotten practice in doing this. Remember, they left fishing or whatever else they were doing in order to follow Jesus. And now, Jesus is telling them, go and make disciples of all nations. You're going to have to go. It's not just as you're going, it's go. Okay, so there's one command. Go and make disciples. It says, go, therefore. We'll talk about the therefore here in a little bit. The second participle is the command, baptizing. Okay? So one of the ways in which they're making disciples, they're doing this work of baptizing. Uh, now, baptizing is something that would be done, the, the evidence in the Gospels, the evidence in the book of Acts, uh, in the early church, and then somewhere along the line, uh, baptizing started to happen with infants, but the, the, the evidence we have in Scripture is that baptism is something that is done for those who have heard the Gospel, acknowledged that they're sinners, repented of their sin, and trusted in Jesus. And the way that they publicly identify with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection is through baptism. So, so here, when he's saying baptizing is part of making disciples, he's implying all of that. That the gospel has been preached, evangelism has been done, right? The gospel has been preached, people have heard the gospel, they've become believers, and they've responded by being baptized. And here he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We worship, because we're kind of in line with historical Christianity, we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we see all of them. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And Jesus' command is that people are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Just so you know, uh, note about this, uh, you'll probably see him in the parade this year. There is a group of people that meet downtown in Iowa Falls called Christ Alive Ministries. They believe something other than what normal Christians, most Christians through all of history, believe about the Trinity. And they also then teach 
that baptism should only happen in the name of Jesus. Okay? So it's a, a different kind of, of group, I would say, outside of the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's that group here in town. Jesus here quite clearly commands baptism is to be done not just in the name of Jesus, but baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, connected to our understanding of the Trinity. Okay? So, there's the command, baptizing, we're going, we're baptizing, and then we're teaching. Teaching is the third part. The, the goal of making disciples, some people have read this kind of thing, like, oh, go and make disciples. That's just going out, having like an evangelistic event, where you share the gospel with a lot of people, and your goal is to get decisions. The goal here is not decisions. The goal is disciples, right? You want to baptize people. You preach the gospel that they might believe, and then they're baptized, but that's not the end of it. It's teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. That is a lifelong task. These disciples have not signed up for just kind of blowing in, blowing up, and blowing out of places. They're called to go to a place, preach the gospel, baptize the new believers, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Maybe they're going to go to a new place, but they need to set up a church in that place that the church might together do the work of making disciples by teaching them to obey everything. Notice Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Not just the things that you like. Teaching them to obey the command that Jesus makes, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, even annoying neighbors, even annoy neighbors who are mean, right? Uh, praying for our enemies, loving them even. Right? Jesus says a lot about a lot of things, and to teach somebody to obey everything he's commanded is a lifelong process of making disciples, or we call it discipleship. Right? That's what he's calling them to. To go, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Alright, so, there's the, what do we, there's the what should the disciples do. Here's the application for us. What do we do? Well, make disciples. Right? What, what, what are we called to do as a church? We are called to make disciples. We who have been saved and identify as Christians, we are also followers of Jesus, and we want to help other people follow Jesus. This is what we are called to do. We carry on with the mission that Jesus gave to his first disciples to make disciples. Does this idea intimidate some of you? Like, wouldn't it be nice? Like, there's some jobs where you hear, like, oh, you're supposed to do this, where it would be nice to just say, I'm glad that's somebody else's job. How many of you have driven by in town when you've seen those, those, those crews working contracted by Metronet digging the holes? They start early in the morning and with a shovel dig a hole. When it gets hot in the middle of the day, guess what they're doing? Digging a hole. The next morning when they wake up, guess what they're doing? Digging a hole, right? So, so morning, afternoon, digging a hole with shovels by hand. And I've driven by them many times and said to myself, I'm glad that's not my job. I'm on my way to my air-conditioned office or on my way back to my air-conditioned home, right? And it's so much more comfortable. That's not my job. I've gotten to know them, by the way. Uh, super hardworking, great people, doing work that a lot of people uh, wouldn't want to do. Um, many of them are from Honduras. When they came to our backyard, I brought out some cookies and spoke in some broken Spanish with them. 
uh, and we got to talk for a little bit, many of them, um, from Honduras. So, so here, working hard, morning until late afternoon and sometimes into the evening, it, doing hard work that, that many of us would prefer not to do. Here's the deal, though. When Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, we don't get off so easy. We don't get to say, well, I'm glad that's somebody else's job. I'm glad that we have a pastor or two. I'm glad that we have some, I'm glad that we have some people that have volunteered for certain roles, but I'm glad that's not my job. And the truth is, you're wrong. This is our job. This is what we are. We who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus, are called to make disciples. And so you might feel intimidated by it. Let me tell you two things. One, it's not as big as you think. And two, it's way bigger than you think. Okay? One, it's not as big as you think. The reason I say this is because remember what Jesus is telling his disciples to do is he's just telling them to do the very thing that he's been doing with them for three years. They've just been following him and watching him, and now he's just saying, he's not telling them to do something they've never seen done before, right? This is what they've been living for three years straight, and he's just saying, go do that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we spent a couple of days up in Minnesota. Uh, uh, Kirsten grew up on a farm helping, uh, so we were helping them get rocks out of the field. Uh, At one point, Kirsten had driven a pickup with a trailer behind it into the approach to a field with a really busy highway behind it. And it was time for us to move on to another place. And so that pickup with the trailer on it needed to be backed out onto this busy highway, not blocking traffic. And so it required some precision pickup driving with a trailer behind it. And I was the man behind the wheel. I'm not a farmer, right? I grew up in town. I don't drive things with trailers on them. I thought, like, I've seen people do this. I can do this. I've done this before. I can do this. It didn't go well. There was a seven-year-old neighbor boy who was there watching, and my window was down, and I could hear that seven-year-old boy say, what's that guy doing? He doesn't know how to back up a trailer. I have no doubt in my mind that if that seven-year-old boy could have seen over the steering wheel, he could have done way better than me. It was multiple steps, and it was ugly. I ended up just kind of driving through the ditch to get out, right? That little boy, though, could have done so much better than I did because he had spent all seven years of his life living on a farm. His dad's a mechanic. He had seen all sorts of things, driven driven probably all sorts of things himself. He knew how to do it just because he grew up there. Those of us who are growing up in Christ, that's what we do. Right? So it's not as big as we think. You don't need to go off to seminary for a while. You don't need to spend four years in Bible college. You just do what has been done for you in your life. You pass on what you have absorbed. You, you see what you've observed, and then you do that with other people. Parents, that means you are making disciples in your home, whether you're doing it intentionally or not. You've noticed this, haven't you, parents, that your kids become like you? It's kind of scary, right? But, but are, are they becoming like us as we're becoming more and more like Jesus? Do our kids in our home see us trust in Jesus in hard times? Do they see us in the Word? Do they see us in prayer? Are we doing time in the Word and time in prayer with them? Do our kids see us loving the people around us or criticizing the people around us? Making disciples starts in the home. 
We've done classes about this. I'd love to talk to you more if you're a parent. Like, yeah, I want to do this more intentionally. How do I do it? I'd love to talk to you more about that. And making disciples is what we're doing in the church. Why do we do Sunday school? To make disciples. Why do we do Awana? To make disciples. Why are we going to do VBS here pretty soon? To make disciples. Why are we doing a worship service every Sunday? To make disciples. Why are we doing life groups? To make disciples. Here, I'll let you do this one. Why are we doing youth group? Yeah, you got it. You nailed it, right? That's what we're doing. It's a very simple mission. We have been called by God to make disciples. It's what we're doing in the home. It's what we're doing in the church. And so in many ways, it's not as big as you think. We're already doing it. But it's also way bigger than we think. Because the command from Jesus is to make disciples of all nations. It's way bigger than we think. Make disciples of all nations. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this. Our church's vision statement says, we are making disciples throughout God's world. For decades now, our church has been committed to raising up, sending out, praying for, and giving money to missions partners who are doing the work of making disciples throughout God's world. Now, I could spend a lot of time talking about just highlighting this, but I'm not going to because here's what's coming. I'm excited about this. The month of July, the whole month of July, okay, there's actually five Sundays in the month of July. What we are going to do is we're going to mix up kind of how we're doing things in the month of July. We're going to add nine o'clock missionary story hour because every Sunday in July, one of our missions partners is going to be with us. Some more local, some working globally, and every Sunday in July, we're calling it like Missions Month, because that's an <laughs> obvious name, I guess, for it, right? We're going to have missionaries coming to be with us, missionaries that we have a relationship with, that we've supported over time, and we're going to, at 9 o'clock, meet in a classroom, and if we get too big, we'll come out here. 9 o'clock, bring kids, bring adults, everybody can come. Missionary Story Hour, different missionary every Sunday, and then they're going to also share during the worship service. Yeah? So, so we're going to, rather than me highlight a bunch of that right now, just saying we're, we're going to get to that part in the whole month of July. Okay? So that's coming up here in July. Make disciples of all nations. How? By baptizing new disciples. Okay? We, we share the gospel with people, not just by being nice, because a lot of people are nice. You, we're not sharing the gospel with people just by being nice. Sharing the gospel requires words, requires us to talk to people about a good God who made all things, who is just and holy and loving. It requires us to talk to people about their sin and their rebellion and what they deserve from God. And it requires us to tell people the good news about what Jesus has done so that rebellious sinners can be made right with a holy God. Right? Sharing the gospel, making disciples, requires sharing the gospel. And those who believe the gospel then are to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We just did baptism a couple of months ago. We're planning to do it again sometime later on this summer. If you are somebody who has been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, but you have not been baptized as a believer, uh, then, then you're a candidate uh, for baptism, and we would love to talk to you more about it. We did put information again in the back. On your way out, grab one of those things. There's some a question and answer thing, and then there's also a, a, a follow-up kind of personal Bible study and reflection. And then let me know. I'm interested in being baptized. Let's talk more. Okay? So, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I commanded. 
Right? This is, again, what we're doing as a church. Our goal as a church, not just to see people make decisions. Yes, we'd love to see that, but we're called to make disciples. It requires ongoing teaching. I've already mentioned a number of things in the church that we're doing uh, that are aimed at this kind of thing. We want to equip parents to make disciples in their homes. We want to disciple the younger generation. We want to disciple every generation in the church. We're making disciples uh, as we do so many things. I get to make disciples even uh, while I'm counseling people and walking with them through hard things. But we're called to make disciples by teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. All right. So, you kind of get, here's what we're supposed to do. Make disciples. Here's how we do it. We go, we baptize, and we teach. Now, these are some weighty commands. Like, that can feel like a heavy burden. These are weighty commands. Let me make sure that we hear before we leave that with these kind of like weighty commands, there are two massive beams on either side of these weighty commands that are holding the commands up. Or, or dramatically speaking, there are some huge indicatives that are holding up these imperatives. The imperatives are the things we're supposed to do. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, right? But don't forget, the Great Commission does not start with the word go. The Great Commission starts with the word, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is what we need to hold on to. Here's what we need to know. Look at verse 18. I I put it wrong in your outline in your bulletin. so, So it's actually verse 18. Verse 18 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When Jesus taught, it says, he taught, and people recognized that he taught as one who had authority. But later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus' authority would be questioned. In Matthew, it's in Matthew chapter 21. The religious leaders are questioning Jesus' authority to the point that he is put on trial and eventually put to death. And Jesus now having been crucified and having been raised from the dead, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, his disciples needed to know this, that Jesus has more authority than the religious leaders, that Jesus has more authority than the Roman soldiers, that Jesus has more authority than the Roman emperor. And Jesus lets them know that right before he gives them the Great Commission to go and make disciples. He needs to let them know, and they need to know this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority over all things, and they needed to hear this because they were about to face great opposition from people who had great authority. And if you're facing opposition from people in authority your tendency is going to be to say, all right, I'm going to listen to the people in authority and not do the hard thing. But if you remember that Jesus has an authority that's greater than their authority, you persevere and you do whatever it is that the greater authority told you to do. And Jesus is the greater authority. So what does this mean for us? We need to know this. Uh, Let me talk to kids here for a second. Kids, how many of you have an older brother or sister? You got an older brother or sister? Sometimes your older brother or sister will tell you 
that you need to do something. And have you ever said to them these words? You're not the boss of me. You ever said that to them? Some words like that, like, yeah, right. And there's adults that still say that maybe to their older siblings, right? You're not the boss of me, right? And what we're saying is, listen, there's an authority who can tell me what to do, and you're not that authority. But what we're saying here is we need to know that the one who is telling us to go and make disciples, he is the boss of me. Right? The one who is saying, go and make disciples, he is my Lord, he is my master, he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so if he says, go do something, what do we do? We go do it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That means Jesus has authority over the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That means Jesus has authority over dictators and lawmakers. Jesus has authority over Supreme Court rulings and foreign powers. Jesus has authority over all things. So if a day comes, and it might, when our lives are threatened or maybe our jobs are threatened, if we obey Jesus' command to make disciples, you know what we're going to do? Make disciples. Because His authority supersedes any other authority. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, it's go therefore and make disciples, and the therefore reminds us that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we need to know this. We need to know this because it's just going to keep getting harder. In chapter 10, Jesus said he gave all authority to his disciples to go and do the things that he had been doing, and he said, behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves preparing them. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be dangerous. But this work is the work I have called you to do, and I'm the one who has authority to give you this command. Okay, so that should be enough. But I love the beam on the other side of the imperatives too, and we can't miss it. So on one side, holding up these weighty commands is this, this proclamation that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And on the other side is this promise. Look at it in verse 20. At the end of verse 20, it says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes. Do you hear that promise? Let me just read it again. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Kids again. You know, kids, that when something seems a little bit scary to you, it's really nice, isn't it, to have mom and dad with you? Like, that just makes the scary thing a little less scary. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples, and I love this promise we get from Him. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you think back to chapter 10, when Jesus had said, I'm giving you authority to go out and do these things that I've been doing, and he sends them out like sheep among wolves. Think about this. Those 12 disciples, when they went out and did those things, Jesus wasn't with them. Because Jesus stayed there and he sent them out. Now, just before Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he's telling them, I am with you always. It's actually going to be better for these disciples with Jesus ascended into heaven when they receive the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit dwells in them, and Jesus with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to be with them always to the end of the age. So application for us on this, church, just very simply this. 
as we do the sometimes discouraging, usually draining, and maybe someday dangerous work of making disciples, we need to know this, that Jesus is with us always the end of the age. Those things, remembering those things. We need to remember those commands. Here's what we've been called to do. We've been called to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded. But we go and we do those things knowing that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. And behold, He is with us always to the very end of the age. That is good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for just the clarity of these few verses. Um, I pray that, that you would make it increasingly clear to us. If I didn't make it clear in preaching today, if I made things more fuzzy in some way, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would clear it up. I thank you for making it clear, though, here what we are to do and how we are to do it. And I pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us to do it. I thank you for the promises you give here. I thank you for the promise of your presence. I thank you for the assurance of your authority. Pray that you would help us to know those things, to trust in you, to, to dig deeper into just our, our, our trust in you, being a God who has all authority and who is constantly with us. And by that, I pray that you would equip us to do what it is you've called us to do. We are thankful for all you've provided for us. And so we want to respond uh, to all of this by just professing the thing that is going to motivate us to do all of this. And that is that we love you, Jesus, because you have loved us. It's really as simple as that. And so I pray that you would help us to sing this closing song with conviction that we love you and that we look ahead to days in our life, maybe even on our deathbed, being able to look back and say, I love you more now, Jesus, than I ever have before. And that we 